Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Bean Dad. The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Falling in love is the best feeling in the world. You see stars, you feel giddy. But sometimes that makes you do crazy things. And sometimes that means murder. Just because a story starts out with Once Upon a Time doesn't mean it ends happily ever after. Welcome to Crazy in Love, a production of KT Studios and iHeartRadio. Today's guests are true crime producers Stephanie Lidecker and Jeff Shane. Episode 26, The Case of the Dry Body the damp hair, and the triple trial. For 114 days, Sarah and Ryan Widmer almost had it all. A loving marriage, a big house in an Ohio suburb, and a bright future. But one warm August night, everything came crashing down. To understand the tragedy that befell the young couple, we first need to appreciate who they were. Sarah and Ryan met after being set up by mutual friends. Sarah was a type A dental hygienist, Ryan a laid-back sports planner. Despite their differences, they had chemistry. While Ryan had never been that serious with a girl, 
He liked that not only was Sarah mature and poised, but she could also speak her mind. When Ryan introduced Sarah to his loved ones, she fit right in and was soon a mainstay at family holidays and parties. People who knew Ryan noticed it was the happiest he'd ever been. Shortly after the couple bought a four-bedroom home about 35 minutes outside of Cincinnati, Ryan put a diamond ring on their dog's collar and popped the question. Sarah said yes. The hyper-organized blonde beauty had every wedding detail planned to a T. The invites were sent out on time, the dress fitted, the bridesmaids' makeup chosen. Sarah was even able to convince Ryan to go to ballroom dancing lessons with her. It may have cost her a big screen TV, but it was well worth it. After tying the knot in April 2008, the newlyweds honeymooned in Costa Rica. Upon their return, they built a deck on the house, booked a trip to Cancun, and were about to buy a new puppy. The night of August 11, 2008, just 114 days after getting married, the evening was winding down like any other. The couple ate leftover hamburgers, corn on the cob, and cheesy potatoes for dinner. By 10.48 p.m., nothing would ever be the same. Ryan called 911. Here's an excerpt. Uh, what's going on? Uh, she fell asleep in the bathtub, I think. I was downstairs. I just came up here, and she was laying face down in the bathtub. In, in the water? Yes. She's in the bathtub? Yes, she's in water straight right now. I tried to do it. Like, everything I could. I tried okay. to. Paramedics arrived, they attempted to resuscitate Sarah for 45 minutes, but it was too late. The 24-year-old was dead. Here's Jeff. When officials arrived at the scene, they were immediately struck with the feeling that this was not, in fact, a tragic accident, like Ryan had said. The first thing they noticed was that despite having allegedly been in the bathtub, Sarah's body was completely dry and her hair was only slightly damp when the EMTs started working on her. And it wasn't just that. The bath itself was nearly dry. There were also no wet towels or bath mats around the bathroom. The scene, for lack of a better word, felt staged. Additionally, as we heard on that 911 call, Ryan said he was pulling his wife out of the tub to, to perform CPR. The police wondered why the ground wasn't soaking wet because you would think if you pulled her out of the tub wet, the whole bathroom should have been wet. Additionally, when he pulled her out, detectives thought the bathroom would have gotten messed up. But when they got there, everything was in pristine condition. I mean, there was not a shampoo or conditioner bottle out of place. Everything on the line of that tub was still standing. That was very odd. That was very odd, to say the least. And that's the thing about this case that's always been troubling to us. You take a bath, certain things get wet around the bathtub. There are towels, maybe a couple of droplets at the bare minimum around the bathtub, which didn't seem to be the case. And then while the cops thought something very terrible had happened in the bathroom that day, those who knew Sarah and Ryan very well, they thought differently. 
maybe she had an aneurysm. They thought maybe she had a seizure. In fact, on the day of her death, Sarah had been under the weather and she complained to friends and coworkers that her throat and her neck had both been bothering her and she was complaining of headaches. However, one thing really to note about this particular story and certainly about Sarah is that she was a bit of a napper. And I don't say that in the normal way that we all take a quick cat nap. She was that person who could go to a really loud party and fall asleep in the corner. We saw a video of her at a big loud Christmas dinner and all these kids are screaming and yelling around her and she is nodding off. She used to go to her car every day at work and take a quick 30 to 45 minute cat nap. So she was somebody that was able to fall asleep on a dime in sort of an extreme way. So, you know, it's also very possible that maybe she had narcolepsy and that maybe she had fallen asleep in the bathtub. For her, that would not have been crazy unusual. In fact, her parents thought that was likely what happened. So what you're saying is that it was possible that Sarah, unlike a normal person, could actually fall asleep in this bathtub. Seemingly. I mean, we all get it. A little nap here and there is considered a good thing, but she was extreme when, again, there's proof of this and video of it. This is something about her that friends and family used to joke about. So for her to fall asleep in the bathtub didn't seem too far-fetched. While Sarah's friends and family, even including her parents, thought that this was just in fact a tragic accident, the cops certainly did not see it that way. And despite not finding any of the usual issues that we see in these kinds of cases like cheating or money problems, detectives were really looking at Ryan. When they got their autopsy, it revealed that Sarah didn't have any drugs or alcohol in her system that would have stopped her from waking up when she was in that tub. The coroner also found bruises on her head and neck that couldn't be explained. So with all of that, police had enough to arrest and charge Ryan with aggravated murder just two days after his wife's death. Which, you know, we cover these cases very often, Jeff, and that's pretty fast. It's not uncommon for somebody's partner, significant other, or husband is the first in line when we're doing an investigation, obviously, but to arrest him that quickly was very unusual. And there wasn't a lot of circumstantial evidence to suggest that he was guilty. It's really fast, Steph. Yeah, without a motive or a murder weapon or anything like that to arrest someone that quickly, at least in our experience, is very fast. So unless the police knew something we didn't know or we don't know, from the outside looking in, this seems like they very quickly just honed it on someone and made the arrest. With the trial looming, the community of Hamilton Township rallied behind Ryan. It was impossible to believe that this young man would hurt his wife. However, when the trial began seven months after Sarah's death, Sarah's family was no longer in the supposedly grieving husband's corner. As the trial kicked off, the prosecutor spent a lot of time focusing on Ryan's 911 call. Here's another portion of it that was played at trial. Uh, what's going on? Uh, she fell asleep in the bathtub. I think I was downstairs. I just came up here and she was laying face down in the bathtub. According to prosecutors, Ryan provided too many facts about the wrong details. Instead of giving potentially life-saving information about Sarah, Ryan spent time explaining how he was downstairs watching TV. Prosecutors argued that he was attempting to create distance between himself and the death upstairs. But that was not the only evidence against 27-year-old Ryan. Here's Stephanie. The prosecutor brought in a very special expert who said that it was impossible for Sarah to fall asleep in the tub. 
for starters, it's helpful to kind of picture this bathtub. It's not one of those giant bathtubs. Instead, it's more of a standard shower slash bathtub combo that you would see in a hotel or a motel. And Sarah, if you can imagine it, was found face down with her head by the faucet. And this is a part that's very tricky. Imagine taking a bath. You would never do so with your head by the faucet. In fact, you would do it the opposite way. And the fact that she was face down would suggest that there was a lot of movement happening in this very small bathtub. The expert said that the sensation of water and the gag reflux would wake you up before drowning. So there were some very big scientific thoughts that would suggest none of this was just an accident. Although those bruises were very hard to explain as well. So what you're saying is if you were in a bathtub and you fell asleep, which is possible, you relaxed in a bathtub, but as soon as you hit that water, you're going to wake up because all of a sudden you can't breathe. Or when you try to breathe, you're going to suck in a bunch of water. Correct. Especially in a bathtub of that size. Imagine if you were in a pool or one of those large, fancy bathtubs that's super wide. If you start to fall below the water and you gasp to wake up, maybe your arms don't catch the sides or the bottom of the bathtub fast enough. And maybe that's how an accident can happen. But this was a pretty tight tub. And just technically speaking, it didn't seem possible. Right. If she, had she even fallen asleep, how would she then end up with her face by the faucet? Because no one would sit in a bath that way. Especially somebody who took a bath, as we know, regularly like she did. She was a sleeper and somebody who took a lot of baths, right? This was her way of unwinding. So none of that seemed unusual. It also didn't seem that unusual that she would pass out in a bathtub. But now that we're bringing experts into it, there's probably a little bit more to it that the rest of us wouldn't know. Speaking of things we don't know, as we mentioned, Sarah had bruises on her right scalp, her forehead, and her neck. And while she did endure 45 minutes of resuscitation attempts, the coroner who testified at the trial said that they didn't look like bruises caused by CPR. To them, the bruises looked more like those incurred during a drowning, you know, where you're being forcibly held underwater. To that point, the prosecutors also pointed to a set of mysterious handprints found in the bathtub. While they couldn't be identified, they appeared to be those of a small person. And to the experts, it looked like these handprints were Sarah trying to brace her hands on the side of the tub, attempting to keep her head above water as Ryan forced her down. So it's best to picture the handprints. They were basically on the side of the bathtub against the wall facing up. So they were two handprints and it kind of, you can imagine if you were being pushed under that you would put your hands against the wall, bracing yourself, trying to keep your head above water. The question though, all of this is what would be the motive for murder? Do we know anything about that stuff? Yes, we do know a little bit. While she was once on Ryan's side, Sarah's mother testified for the prosecution against Ryan. She told the courtroom that Ryan was a bit controlling over money. And if Sarah ever made a charge on her credit card, he would call her and demand to know exactly what she was spending all of her money on, or frankly, their money on. So the prosecution was saying this was potentially a real motive for murder, where the defense was saying, give me a break. Every married couple goes through financial conversations, and this was completely far-fetched as a motive. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a moment.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in LA. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast, I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
according to the defense, everything the prosecution was saying was all circumstantial. Because by all counts, Ryan was a calm and nice man with no reason to kill his wife. The defense also really harped on Sarah's strange sleep habits, which we heard about. I mean, her nickname was literally The Sleeper. They brought in a childhood friend who testified that Sarah had actually fallen asleep in the bathtub before. Another friend also testified, saying that on the final day of her life, she complained of neck pain and didn't sound well. So despite the coroner not finding any heart problems or brain injuries that would have obviously led to her death, the defense had an expert testify that over 300,000 people a year die suddenly. One to 2% of those deaths occur in young people, and one third of those young people have normal autopsies like Sarah. In other words, sometimes people just die. 300,000 people die suddenly with no predisposition. Exactly, 300,000 people die suddenly a year with no pre-existing conditions. And one to 2% of those 300,000 people are young people. And one third of those one to 2% are people who had completely normal autopsies where not an issue was found like Sarah. So while very rare because it's one to 2% of one third of 300,000 people, which is a very small number, it is possible. It is possible, but likely very unsatisfying because she was so young and so healthy. And for anybody who has looked at their photos, they looked like the most vibrant, wonderful couple. So it does go to show sometimes things are so different under the surface. And that could, of course, apply to our health and wellness as well. The sleeper part of this, which is kind of what this case became known for, is really, how do we know, right? This is something that you can't convict a person on circumstantial evidence. She was somebody that napped randomly all the time. So there really was something to point to. And to your point, her friends and family are confirming that. Yeah, it's it's interesting because so often in these cases, everyone is against the husband and for, firmly believes he did it. And while Sarah's parents did flip on him eventually, a lot of the friends stayed very loyal to Ryan and fully believed in his innocence. And so much so that we know they testified for him in this trial. That is one of the most compelling parts of this entire case is how divided the friends and family became. The defense also pointed holes into this whole air quotes, clean bathroom argument. We know that the prosecution argued that Ryan couldn't have tried to save his wife because the bathroom would have looked so clean if that was the case. And then the defense argued that had Ryan drowned Sarah, likely, as was being theorized, the bathroom would also have gotten messed up. So whether she was drowned or not, either way, the story doesn't totally add up. And the staging of it, again, felt very circumstantial. Their point was that the clean bathroom really meant nothing either way. It was just a clean bathroom. That wasn't a big smoking gun. However, they finally pointed to Sarah's French manicure, which was pristine when she was discovered. Anyone who knows what a French manicure looks like, it sort of looks like your nails are a little bit longer there's sort of a nude polish on it. And then there's that little white line at the tip of the nail polish. And if you've ever had one, it chips so easily. So in this case, had she been drowned, she likely would have been fighting for her life and likely would have chipped her nails. One could argue had she not been drowned and just fell asleep, maybe that was also something that would have happened. So again, all of these things are interesting to look to, but when a person's life is on trial, all of this stuff seems small, comparatively speaking, when it comes to a murder investigation, right? 
I mean, it's interesting because all of these things, you can kind of argue either way. The bathroom being clean, I see that as, oh yeah, if he was pulling her out to save her, stuff would have gotten messed up. But you could also argue if he was drowning her, stuff would have gotten messed up. Her hair being damp and her body being dry, that also, when you first hear that on its head, yeah, that she should have been completely wet. But remember, no one was really at the time checking how dry she was for the 45 minutes that she was trying to be saved. Her body could have dried off in that amount of time. We don't really know. So I would imagine for the jury, this would be a really hard job because all the evidence is circumstantial. The autopsy says nothing. Ryan's motive says nothing. It's really just your gut feeling. Do you think he did it or he didn't do it? It's so confusing. And people did speak to the fact that Sarah was such a fighter. She was feisty and she for certain would have fought back if somebody was trying to harm her. So that also did speak to this whole manicure defense that, you know, she would have messed up her manicure or the room would have been a disaster mess because she would have been fighting for her life. It's complicated and confusing. As both the prosecution and defense rested, the community still sided with Ryan. Allegedly, nine out of 10 locals thought Ryan was being wrongfully accused. However, what really counts is what happens in the courtroom. After 23 hours of deliberation, the jury had a verdict. Ryan was found not guilty of aggravated murder, which means he didn't kill Sarah with premeditation. It was considered a major victory. However, he was found guilty of murder without premeditation, meaning he killed her in the heat of the moment. That was a devastating blow to the defense. Despite having not testified during the trial, Ryan kissed his wedding ring and made an emotional plea to the judge. Here's a portion of it. I love my wife. I did not hurt her. I was never given a chance. The day after she passes away, they charged me with murder. I didn't even... If I had an answer, I would give the answer to what happened to her, but I can't. I was not in the bathroom with her. Say, Mr. I love my wife and I did not hurt her. But the story was not over. Here's Jeff. Following the trial, the community was incensed at what they saw as a miscarriage of justice. A local man even created a website called freeryanwidmer.org, which was designed in hopes of rallying support behind the husband. Meanwhile, as Ryan's lawyers filed an appeal, they got a big break. A juror from the trial reached out to them saying that during deliberations, two or three of the female jurors had done at-home experiments. What they said they did was shower at home, testing how long it took for their hair and bodies to dry, which as we remember was a big part of the trial as Sarah's body was dry and her hair was damp. Now that might sound like something all of us, you know, armchair detectives would love to do, but if you're a juror, it actually violates in order to consider what you hear only in the courtroom and it counted as jury misconduct. What happened next was four months later, it counted as jury misconduct. So luckily for Ryan, four months after being found guilty, he was granted a new trial. Which is pretty unheard of. And then after nearly an identical trial, which started in 2010, a new jury began what would become the longest deliberation in the county's history. However, after just four days of discussions, they were deadlocked and get this, the judge declared a mistrial. And if you've never been in a trial scenario, these trials are so exhausting. So now to go through yet another one is really unfathomable. 
Well, they're exhausting stuff and they're really expensive. They cost millions of dollars. And so the prosecution really clearly believed in Ryan's guilt because to try him not once, but twice at this point is a big expense to this county. And so that probably added to the public's dismay in this whole thing, because not only did they see Ryan as innocent, but now the prosecutors are spending taxpayer dollars to try to put this guy in jail. With the second trial going bust, the community felt outraged and they were more convinced as ever of Ryan's innocence. A candlelight vigil was held in his honor and an anonymous donor gave $60,000 to his defense. The prosecution felt pressure to end this expensive and risky case. But he maintained he was not guilty and declined. Unsure of how to proceed, the prosecution got a stroke of good luck when a new witness came forward who had a lot to say. But who was this mystery witness who promised to blow the case wide open? Here's Jeff. As the 2011 trial number three got underway, a woman named Jennifer Crew took the stand. She told the stunned courtroom that she connected with Ryan following the first trial through his website, freeryanwoodmer.org. They started chatting online and through text, innocently enough, but soon they started talking on the phone. And at some point, Ryan asked her for a photo. And this woman was a little nervous, so she decided to send a photo of her friend who was more classically beautiful than she. And as the calls continued, they started chatting late at night and they got a little steamy and they were forming a bit of a relationship on the phone. And so one night, Jennifer awoke to a f- the phone ringing. It was Ryan. He sounded drunk, according to her. She expected another sexy call, but got something very different. So what did the defendant say next? I did it. I did it. I killed Sarah. I did it. He said that Sarah had found out that he had cheated on her when she went away with her mom. They were arguing about him cheating on her, about his drinking, and about his smoking. She was getting ready for the bath. And he was in the bedroom watching the football game. And she came from the bathroom into the bedroom. Ryan said that the argument continued that she kept saying she can't do this anymore, being married. He said he just wanted to get away, and so he pushed her out of the way and so he could get up off the bed, and she pushed him back. Did Ryan Winmer tell you what happened when they were in the bathroom? Yes. What is that? What did he tell you happened? He said that... Sarah told him that the marriage was over. Did he share with you what his response was? Yes. What was that response? Nobody leaves me. Nobody ever leaves me, and I mean nobody. He punched her in her chest. Mm -hmm. Did he say what happened to Sarah? And she fell backwards and hit her head. And did he tell you what happened, or was he able to describe for you what happened after that, immediately after that? He knelt down, and he said, Jen, I blacked out. I blacked out. What did he see or observe next? Sarah's head was wet. Did he tell you anything else about her, where she was at? On the floor. 
and what was her condition, according to Ryan Wimmer. Sarah was not breathing. So this was obviously shocking to everyone. And when they asked Jennifer why she waited so long to come forward with this information, she told the courtroom that she thought Ryan would be found guilty at the second trial. But when he wasn't, she just couldn't live with herself anymore. So she had to say the truth. The defense poked a lot of holes into her story as well. A few things about her backstory came up. Jennifer had been convicted of theft and worked at a strip club. She was also enrolled at a methadone clinic for Oxycontin addiction. So of course they brought into question whether or not her memory could be trusted. But perhaps the biggest play was another female witness for the defense, a woman named Melissa Waller, who like Jennifer connected with Ryan via his website following the trial. And like Sarah, she was a blonde bombshell from Washington state and had become a huge staunch Ryan supporter. She even made a YouTube tribute video for the couple with some love songs in the background and photos of them in happier times, which was a little bit odd. The defense called her to testify because the same night Ryan allegedly called Jennifer confessing to the murder, he also called Melissa. Phone records show that he spoke to her for two hours that night and the call ended just six minutes before he allegedly called Jennifer confessing. Melissa testified that Ryan didn't sound drunk and definitely did not admit anything to her. So now we're getting into a case of she said, she said. While if Jennifer's testimony is true, then for sure Ryan did it, but she has no recording or any proof that he did anything other than try to have phone sex with her that night. Same with Melissa. Again, all we look at is the phone record. So clearly they spoke, but what they spoke about, we have no idea. What I really think when I see these two women testify is that while Melissa might have countered Jennifer's argument, all it does is really make Ryan kind of look like a perv. I mean, he's using this website, freeryanwoodmer.org, which was created to help get him out of prison and find information and, you know, bring donations in for him. But he's using this website to pick up on women and solicit photos for them and start relationships with them. And to that point, one other thing we should say is that following the first trial, the prosecution revealed that they discovered Ryan had visited a website on his computer called Adult Friend Finder, which was a site for swingers. Now it was ruled inadmissible, but it just does speak to his character. Just for added clarity, he set up a website to help raise money for his case to hopefully get him free. And on that website, many women, specifically these very beautiful blonde women, would reach out to him and then he would sort of use that website as a way to chase girls, for lack of a better term, even though that website was designed to help him free himself from the murder of his now deceased wife. Again, that doesn't make him necessarily a killer though, right? It makes him a really creepy guy, but not necessarily a murderer. However, it is interesting because the facts from trial to trial, although there were several trials, the facts didn't change hardly at all. But what did change was how Ryan was perceived by the public. That certainly changed from trial to trial. Let's stop here for another break. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in LA. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast, I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
a lot of this case really comes down to that Ryan wasn't acting the way a grieving widower should have been acting. A grieving widower doesn't use a website designed to help get them out of prison to pick up on women online. And it also does show how complicated the justice system can be, right? This is a case that doesn't have a ton of really strong hard facts. However, taking our opinions out of it, you know, friends and family did turn on Ryan, including Sarah's own mother who loved him dearly. And there was enough to suggest that something really awful happened that night and that somebody needed to be held accountable. But we never really did find out what the reason was. There wasn't an insurance plan in place, right? No, I mean, there was no insurance. There was no financial motive. By all accounts, they were both working and doing well financially. I mean, other than, according to Sarah's mom, Ryan was controlling about money, but it wasn't like Sarah was that frivolous of a spender. She wasn't going out buying new cars and new, you know, spending thousands and thousands of dollars. At the most, he was just a little bossy about cash flow. But that certainly doesn't seem like motive enough to kill someone. No, it's in fact probably the number one thing all couples fight and argue about. That doesn't necessarily lead to murder. And I think what this case has always tripped us up about is, look, they were a beautiful, lovely, young couple that had everything happening for them. They were only married for 114 days. And like we discussed, they were making investments together as a family. They were going to remodel their home and they were going to buy a puppy. These are things that couples do when they're looking for the future, not looking for a way out. It makes you think, we don't always know what's going on on the inside from what we see on the outside. If you believe Jennifer's testimony, which she says that they got in a big fight and what Ryan said was, you know, no one ever leaves me, you can't leave me. And so was this about pride? Maybe he was murdering his wife over pride, his, his dignity was hurt and the idea of his wife leaving him was too much to handle. But to that end, are we going to believe this woman who doesn't really know anything and seems more like a rubbernecker or are we going to believe his friends and family who said that he was very calm and never would act angry and was not violent or anything like that? There was no suggestion that Sarah had any intention of leaving Ryan at the time of her death, right? According to Jennifer, when Ryan called her, he said that Sarah found out he had cheated on her when she was away for the weekend and was very upset and told him the marriage was over and she was going to leave him and a big fight ensued. But cops could never find any proof of that affair. We don't know who the mistress was. And the only thing that maybe points to that being true is this one website that he went to, adultfriendfinder.com. And in fact, Ryan explained that by saying it was a pop-up and he clicked it by mistake, which does happen. We all get spam on our computers. I will say this. I think what's most troubling about this case is that from the outside looking in, it looked kind of perfect, right? That's the couple everybody would want to be and that sometimes we don't know what's happening behind closed doors and moreover sometimes we're behind closed doors and don't know how to ask for help so no matter how we slice this this was a really tragic ending to what could have been a very beautiful relationship in february of 2011 after a two-hour deliberation the third jury to hear the case found ryan widmer guilty of one count of murder once again, Ryan proclaimed his innocence. In one final twist to the story, it turned out that prior to the verdict, Ryan had begun to move on with his life with another blonde woman named Sarah. He met her on freeryanwidmer.org and they had a son named Ryan. 
That baby will now grow up without his father as Ryan was sentenced to 15 years to life in prison for murder. While Ryan and the second Sarah are no longer together, she continues to believe in his innocence. Shameless plug. If you're enjoying Crazy in Love, leave us a review. Season three of the Piketon Massacre, Return to Pike County is in the works. We want to hear from you for the upcoming season. Do you have a story to tell, a connection to Pike County, or is there another case local to Pike County that you can't let go of? Please email info at kt-studios.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at kt underscore studios. Crazy in Love is produced by Stephanie Lidecker, Jeff Shane, Chris Graves, and me, Courtney Armstrong. Editing and sound design by Jeff Twa. Crazy in Love is a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Stay safe, lovers. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.